Christianity, being a Christian, is something better than, um, more uh, impactful than, um, just saying that we're a Christian. Because being a Christian can look like so many different things. Uh, people that uh, call themselves Christians, it, uh, it's just this wide range, this variety uh, of different ideas and approaches and takes on certain things. And it's just, just becomes sometimes a little bit messy. And so we want to really define what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. That's really our ambition. We, I don't want you to be just a Christian. I want you to be a follower of Jesus. That's what we're about. We're about lifting up the name of Jesus. We're not li- interested in lifting up any other name other than the name of Jesus. And, and so that's where we're at. And so Jesus gave some labels to those who were his followers. And if you're here with us in week one, he, he, they refer to each other and J- Jesus referred to his followers as disciples disciples. And, and so what does that look like to be a disciple? Well, I would encourage you to go back and, and maybe listen to that, uh, that talk a few weeks ago. And then Jesus called um, a group of people that were wanting to follow Jesus. He called them salt. He called them salt of the earth. He called them light of the world. And salt is a preservative. So when they heard, I'm supposed to be a salt, they heard, I'm supposed to be a preservative in a decaying world, in a decaying culture, uh, to preserve it from stinking up. And so that's what he's challenging us to be. He's calling us, challenging us to be a preservative in our culture. He says that you're to be the light of the world, you know, and light always penetrates dark. And when we're light, it always is gonna cut through dark. It's, it's always gonna illuminate things that need to be exposed. And so that's what he wants us to be. Last week, if you're here, we said, you know, and this was uh, really a, a phrase that Paul used a lot, the Apostle Paul used a lot, but he says, we're supposed to be saints, not Christians, we're, we're saints. If you put your faith in Jesus, you're a saint, and, 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 and in Christian world, people that call themselves Christians, they'll tell you different definitions of what a saint is. You know, they'll tell you a saint is somebody that earns it. It's somebody that is performs uh, through a lifetime of, of good things and, and then they are bestowed upon them sainthood. Well, that's not what we see in the Bible. What we see in the Bible is those who put their faith in Jesus and those who received that grace as a gift and, and there was this exchange of righteousness. It was our filthy rags and we exchanged our filthy rags and gave them to Jesus and he gave us in return his pure righteousness, his holiness. And so when God sees you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint. He, and that word saint means holy ones. And that's what he sees. And so when we go about our life, I want you to understand that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've called upon the name of the Lord, that the way that he sees you is that he sees you as a holy one of God. And that should inform your decisions. That should inform your choices that you make. That should inform how you live your life. Because if you think that you're just a sinner, you know what you're going to do a pretty good job at? Sinning. But if you think that you're, and if you know that you're a saint, you know what you're going to do a pretty good job at being? a saint. And so that's the way that we want to define this. This is the way that we want to look at this. So... I could go on for weeks, 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 and, and really just giving us some identity points. So I, I can't do that. I like to move on and talk about other things. And so um, I just want to try to lump in um, some, some symbols or some imagery of what God says we are. I, I want to put, put some things together uh, this morning with you. And really, it, it is under the umbrella or the banner of, of one name uh, found 115 times in the New Testament. And so just to sort of set that up, um, when Jesus resurrected from the grave, which is the foundation of our faith, when Jesus resurrected from the grave, I mean, it was like that's all they needed. And it really was. It was all that they needed in order for them to get their message out that Jesus was the Son of God. And that's certainly what they did. They went around and, and, and guys like Peter, you know, and James, the brother of Jesus and Barnabas and many other, you know, characters that we see, people that we see in the New Testament, they went out and just were proclaiming Jesus 
is alive. Jesus is alive and we've seen him. We've seen him. As a result of that, there was thousands and thousands of, of Jews who were coming to, coming to, to Christ and, and putting their faith in, in Jesus. Literally, Peter preached you know, on a couple different occasions and in, in, in a couple different occasions, thousands, thousands of people came and put their faith in Jesus. Well, the church began to just explode. But when the church exploded and thousands of people, thousands of Jews were coming to faith in Jesus, and that's so significant because you got to know about, you know, Judaism and their culture, you know, they were, they were living a certain way and following God or believing that God was required them to do certain things like rules and rituals and follow certain laws. And, and now they're starting to, you know, abandon those things that they grew up doing and they were, they heard that they're. You know, parents told them they should do and need to do, and they did it, and grandparents, and for generations and generations, they followed these certain ways about what it looked like to honor God, what it looked like to make God happy. Well, they just started really abandoning those ideas and just started being followers of Jesus. And as a result of that, there began a lot of persecution. And we talked about this in this series. There was so much persecution that happened to Christians. As a matter of fact, in the late uh, first century and early second century, there was this theologian, this, this man, a follower of Jesus, who wrote this about Christians. Look at it says, if the Tiber rises too high or the Nile too low, the remedy is always feeding Christians to the lions. This is how Christians were treated. They were saying, what they were saying was, if, the, if they believed that the pagan gods were mad at them, if they believed that, the, that God was mad at them, that they would just start, you know, using Christians as their, you know, escape goats. You know, they would start using Christians as their sacrificial lambs and, and thinking that this would appease the gods because this is the kind of culture that they lived in as well. And so as the persecution of Christians rose and got and became, you know, just intense, people were still coming to Christ. People were still putting their faith in Jesus. Why? Because he died, he rose from the grave, and then they saw him alive. And they couldn't deny it. They're like, if he can beat death, I'm with this guy. If he's gonna, if he can conquer death and rise from the grave on the, on, on the day that, and, and by the way, and he predicted that, I'm with him. And so they just started following Jesus, regardless of how they were treated, regardless of what they had to go through. They were like, I'm just a follower of Jesus, no matter what, no matter what. So as they were being persecuted, what happened was is that many of the Jews were beginning to be pushed out of Jerusalem. And they were pushed out of Jerusalem where, where they really wanted to just gather around and be Jesus followers and, you know, gather together and, and, and support each other and encourage each other. But God says, no, 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 no. This message is too good to be held into one place, to be held onto in one location. This message is meant now for the world to know. And so now Jews are now being pushed out of their homes, pushed out of their cities, moved away from their families into now surrounding areas where it wasn't just Jews, it was what they called Gentiles, which a Gentile is essentially someone who's not a Jew. Now, if you're, I believe that probably everyone, but I'm not really sure. So let's say for the most part, in this room, we're Gentiles. For the most part, in this room, we are Gentiles. So the message is now, the message of Jesus. So the Jews, the message is so good. Hey, we found this guy named Jesus. You know, he was a Jewish man, but he died on a cross. He was falsely accused, you know, by, you know, the, the, the religious leaders and, and the, the Romans crucified him, this, this excruciating death. And, and, and we saw him die on a cross, but, but on the third day, he rose from the grave and he appeared to us. So these Jews, Jews can't keep this message to themselves and they start sharing it with these new, these new people that they're meeting who are, who are now Gentiles. And the Gentiles are going, well, that sounds like a pretty awesome God to serve, a God who, you know, we can call a heavenly father. Is that what you're saying? That we can refer to him as like our heavenly father? That's the kind of relationship that we can have with him? 
that we don't have to like serve like all of these different idols and all of these different gods who, by the way, they seem to be angry all the time. That he's not an angry God, that he's a God who beat death. I don't know of any other gods who claimed that they beat death. And so these Gentiles are now putting their faith in Jesus and it's real. The Holy Spirit is coming upon them and the, the work of God and the presence of God is becoming evident in these Gentiles. And it's just sort of weird for the Jews because, you know, Jesus was Jewish and this sort of derived from this, this religion called Judaism. And so the Jews are starting to go, well, I wonder, is it this simple? Is it simply, is it just about receiving Jesus and accepting his grace? Is it really that simple? But some of the Jews couldn't buy into that. Some of the Jews are going, listen, I think what we're suppo- what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to be Jewish first, and then you can be a Christian. You're supposed to be, accept the, the laws and the Ten Commandments and follow our rules and our rituals and our traditions, and then you receive Jesus, and then you can be a Christian. And even some of the men are going, I don't know if I want anything to do with this because I don't want to have that surgery done. You'll get that later. And so, and so they're going, I, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? And so thank the Lord, thank goodness, and you, you, should, you should be grateful for this as well. A group of people got together, the church, the early church leaders, people like Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James, the brother of Jesus, they got together. And by the way, James, the brother of Jesus, is now the the leader in the church of Jerusalem. And they all get together and they say, listen, here's here's what we have decided. And we believe that this is from God. That the Gentiles don't have to become Jewish first to be followers of Jesus. All they have to do is receive this amazing grace that God has extended to them. That the covenant that was once with a nation, now there's a new covenant in the blood of Jesus for the whole entire world. And as anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and you'll get to be, yeah, you'll get to be a part of the family of God. And this was, trust me, you're so glad that happened. And now what is formed, now what has begun is that every tribe and every nation and every tongue and every gender, wherever they are in the, in the world, and the world is now becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and now every single person can come and put their faith in Jesus and be, call, and be called the church, the church. That they're now realizing, I don't know if this is, uh, you know, culturally acceptable now, but red, yellow, black, and white, they are all precious in his sight. That's the church. And this was the plan of God. And this is the, the, the name that God wanted to put a label on us. He just says, I don't want you to be Christians. I want you to be the church. And the word church means this. It means congregation. It's from the Greek word ekklesia. And it means congregation. It means assembly. It means a gathering of people. He says, I don't want you to be Christian. I want you to, I want you to, be, I want you to be the church. As a matter of fact, when they, when they gather together, Jews and Gentiles and all these other different nations and Greek-speaking you know, Christians and all these different tribes and tongues, when they all gather together, you know what, was a bit, what would have been you know, strange for them? What would have been strange for them was if, if, if they would have said, you know where I'm going? I'm going to church. That would have been, that would have been weird for them. They would have been like, what do you mean you're going to church? They would have said, you don't go to church. Church isn't a place. Church is a people. And you don't just go to a church building. They would say, we are. This is what we, we are the church. It's not a building, it's 
a body of believers. It's not a place, it's a, it's a people. Now, I want you to be the church. I want you to be the church. Now, I didn't spell that wrong. We didn't miss the E. But the reason why I want you to be the church is because the Bible gives us, the word of God gives us three descriptions of what it looks like to be the church. And just for, for, for fun and because I'm a nerd, they all start with the letter B. Isn't that amazing? Okay, maybe it's just for me, all right? I was having fun with it. Every time I tested this out on people, they're like, okay, all right, whatever. You want to do whatever you want to want. Okay, so listen, the point is, you, I want you, and God wants you, more importantly, not to be a Christian. He wants you to be the church, be the church. And what's interesting is, here's what's, what's interesting. When they talked about you being a disciple or you being a saint or you being salt or you being light, do you know that it was always in a pluralistic sense? It was always a, a talking about together, 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 together. That's what it was always referring to. It never meant just you individually, you by yourself. Yeah, it, it could mean, it could look that way. But, but when Jesus was talking about you being, you are the salt or you are the light, he was always talking about them collectively, an assembly, a congregation, a gathering of people called the church, called the church. And the first way that we're to be the church is that Jesus says that we're to be a branch. We're to be a branch. In John 15, uh, John 15 it says it, he says it this way. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he who, he who is connected to me, he who is, you know, locked into me, he bears much fruit. And we're going to talk about what that looks like in a minute. He bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's a, being the church means that we're a branch. You're a branch. Now, I don't know if anybody's been wondering why there's a Christmas tree here in the, in the room and in, in, the, in the middle of May, but... Um, yeah, you should have seen me asking people if they have these kinds of Christmas trees. They're like, it's May, Pastor. Why are you asking me for a Christmas tree? So, uh-oh, I got to put the leg back on. Just so I can... I, I should have taped this leg up. Here we go. So, this is, the, this is a sad picture of what this is supposed to look like. This is my Charlie Brown tree. Isn't this a great image of, of this is the church and sometimes the church is imperfect and it sometimes looks like this. So, uh, but I think Jesus had something a little bit more beautiful in mind than this, than this tree. But here's what he's saying. Now, this is, this is, this is good. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm the vine or I'm the root, okay? And you are, you are the branches, this is what you are. You are the branches. Now, the, the, the amazing thing about this is now when, when Jesus, you know, is as the root and he grew up and he, you know, proclaimed his message of, of hope and grace and love. And those Jews who accepted Christ immediately were grown out of this, this thing. He's saying, listen, I want you, I'm the vine, I want you to be the branches, and we're gonna fill out this thing, and when you start to fill out, when you're connected with me, that you're gonna bear much fruit. You're just gonna have fruits in your life. And so he says, I want you to be a branch. But when the message of, of Jesus went to the Gentiles, who, who is us, the, the, Paul describes it to the Romans as this. Look what it says in, 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 in Romans. He says this. If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. And then he says in verse 18, he says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, 
Remember that it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. And here's what happens. Listen, here's what happens. As a part of the church, that you and I are meant to be branches. And the, and the way that we are meant to be branches is that he's saying this, that you are, and the, and the phrase that he uses is that you are grafted in. You're grafted in. Now, I'm not into horticulture. I can't even say the word. Uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not an expert on this, but this is, the, this is the best way that I know how to describe it. That when you put your faith in Jesus, you immediately, immediately now become connected to the root. And as connected to the root, so as the root is holy, so are the branches, and you and I begin to now, as branches, fill in this thing together called the church. And the, and the way that this, you know, looks beautiful and the way that you become holy is by you as a branch realizing that the only way that you're going to bear fruit, the only way that you're going to be impactful in your life, the only way that you're going to find fulfillment in your life, the only way that you're going to be nourished and satisfied in your life is that when you are connected to the root, that's the only way. And when Gentiles and when you put your faith in Jesus, you started filling in this thing, this tree, and as you are connected, as you abide in him, collectively, together, we will bear much fruit. And the root will support you. I don't know about you, but man, I need something in my life that supports me. I don't know about you, but I have needs in my life where I need God to really pour into me and invest into me and to give me the nourishment that I need. Is anybody else in this room can testify to that? Let me tell you something. He is, he's the source of support. When you feel abandoned by somebody, when you feel like you've been shortchanged in your life, when you feel like you've gotten a raw end of the deal, when you feel like you're all alone, I just want you to know that your source of support is found in the root called Jesus. And when you come together in the root called Jesus, you are a part of the church. It's the church. And it's the picture. It's a place of refuge. It's a place of shade and of hope. It's a place of encouragement. It's a place what the world needs to be a part of. And when you're connected to the root as a branch that God says, this is who you are. You're not a Christian, you're a branch. And a branch makes up the whole tree. And this is a place, this is the church, what the church is supposed to look like. To be a place that bears fruit. To be a place that sends out love and, and, and encouragement and help and, and need. That's what the place is. And the only way, the only way we're going to make it, the only way that you're going to survive, the only way you're going to get through each day is when you're connected to the root. And when you connect into the root, just as the root is holy, so are the branches. So don't forget, you're a holy one. You're a holy one. Live as if the way that God sees you as a holy one for him. And the way that you do that is the way that we do that together. Do we do that? Do we connect together? That's what the church, it didn't matter if they were Jew or Gentile. It didn't matter where their background was or where they came from. What mattered was is that they were connected to the root, connected to the vine. And when you do that, when you connect with Jesus, he's your support. When you connect with Jesus, you'll bear fruit. You'll bear fruit. The other imagery, the other symbol of being the church is not only that we're to be a branch, okay? I'm going to just move this down. Not only that we're to be the branch, but we're to be 
put this right here. We're to be a body. We're to be the body. Now, this is the, the image that Paul gives us. He says, listen, as being a part of the church, he says, I want you to be the body, the body. Now, he says it this way. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says this. But now there are many members, but one body, but one body. And the eye, I love how he makes it really practical and easy for us. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. Verse 23, and those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. So that, he says, why? Why is that important? So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. In other words, here's what he's saying. Just like the body, just like your body has many parts to it, that's what the body of Christ looks like. That's what the church looks like. That we all have, we all have a different part that we play. And when you and I play our parts, when you and I function together, that's when we're going to be effective for the kingdom of God. When you realize that you're just as important as I am, that you're just as important as, as somebody else, you play an important role in the body. Now, listen, you may think of yourself as like, I don't know, like a pinky toe or something like that, right? You're like, I'm not a big toe. I'm not, you know the middle toe or whatever. I'm not, you know, a nose or an ear or an eye. I'm like, I feel like I'm just like a pinky toe. Do you know how important a pinky toe is? Do you guys know how important a pinky toe is? It's really important. It really is. A pinky toe is a part of the tripod of balance. You guys writing this stuff down? This is like, this is dynamite stuff. I, I'm just trying to wake you up right now. It is a part of the tripod of balance. You know, you have your heel. Then you have your big toe knuckle. And then you have your pinky toe knuckle. And it's a part of, and it gives you the balance. If you lose your pinky toe, and you're thinking, I don't need my pinky toe. I could go without my pinky toe. No, 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 no. You need your pinky toe for balance. But you know what else you need your pinky toe for? When you play with your kids. No, I'm just kidding. And wee, 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 all the way up. No, no. You know what else you need? You need your pinky toe in order for you to be able to push off and take the next steps. That without your pinky toe, you're going to lose balance. And without your pinky toe, you're not going to be able to push off. You're not going to be able to run. You, did you know, I don't know if you, you probably know this, but swimmers know this. Their pinky toe is so important. If you ask Michael Phelps what's the most important body part of his body, he would say, I don't know, probably my pinky toe. Because what it does is that when they push off into the water, they use their pinky toe as a necessary um, toe in order for them to propel themselves into the water. You might be a pinky toe but you're important. You may see yourself in that way. I don't know, what am I gonna do? What do I have to offer? I don't know, I'm just, I'm just a pinky toe. You know, he gets to be a nose. He gets to be, an, she gets to be an ear. They get to be a thumb. I wanna be a thumb. I'm a pinky toe. Listen, pinky toes are amazing. They're amazing. You know what the body needs? The body needs some pinky toes. The body won't work. You're, the body, though, you know, the, the body's gonna, the whole body's gonna lose balance without it. The whole body without it is not gonna be able to take another step, another step, another step, another step. Without the pinky toe, the body won't work properly. 
So I don't know where you're at, and I don't know how you think of yourself, and I certainly know this. Whatever it is, that you, however you think of yourself and what you can offer to the body, you're important. You're important. Without everybody contributing to the body, it just doesn't look right. Without you contributing to the body, it just doesn't look like. It's like a, it's like a lazy eye. It's like a, it's just like somebody that just doesn't, you know, it's just like a, have you ever had your leg fall asleep, you know, like a, you're asleep leg, you know, you know, you're sitting too long or whatever, and you try to get up and you're like, oh man, what in the world? And, you know, just trying to get, you know, the blood flowing again. It's just like that. Listen, when you aren't, when you don't connect in the body, when you don't function in the body, the whole body feels it. The whole body suffers because of it. You are the church. Don't just go to church. Be the church. Be the church. Paul says it this way to the church in Ephesus. He says it this way. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So we are the, the body of Jesus. That's what we are. We are the church. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And you may be an ear or a nose or a thumb, or you might just be that pinky toe, but you're all necessary. All of us are important. And he is the head. Jesus Christ is the head. He says in verse 16, he says, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper workings of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of itself in love. That God says, listen, I want you to be a part of the body. And the reason why I want you to be a part of the body, because it helps the body build up. It helps the body, you know, be, be a, a, a vessel for love. It helps to be a part of the body. It helps us to understand that, that there's a world out there. There's, there's a people out there that need a relationship with Jesus. And what God has used, the tool that God has used is that he's used the church as the tool, as the vessel to, for people to come into a relationship with him. That just like Jesus spent time on earth, walking this earth and telling people that he is life, that he is hope, that he is peace, the body, the church is meant to function in that way. You're the body. And he's the one that's holding it all together. And the reason why that's so important, especially to the, when Paul wrote that letter to Ephesus, there were so many different kinds of people. There were so many different experiences and backgrounds and cultural upbringings and just so many social differences that they had. And he's saying, listen, do you know what unifies us? You know what brings us together? What brings us together is what Jesus has done for us. A few years ago, a number of years ago, I went to a conference, and I sat under this uh, teaching of this preacher. He was talking about these concepts, and, and uh, he brought up this thing, and I thought it was just unbelievable, and it really just was amazing. He brought up this thing in our human body called laminin. Have you ever heard of laminin before? Laminin. Laminin is this protein that we have in our body. It's a protein that we have in our body that is like works together with cells. Now, I didn't want you to show the picture yet, but you're, it, it's, a, it's a part of the body. It, what, how laminin works is this, is that it keeps all of our cells working together so that it keeps our body. The laminin is like, you can describe it like rebar. 
You know, if you're building a foundation of, of something, it's that rebar that's necessary in order for that to hold that whole foundation together. That's what laminin does in our body. Now, that's what laminin looks like. Isn't that pretty amazing? That's what it looks like. Does it look like a cross to anybody else? That's what it looks like. This is what is holding, this idea of laminate. This is what's holding us together. This is what holds the body together. And when it comes to the body of Christ, the cross of Jesus is what unifies us. It's the cross of Jesus of what holds all of us together. We all have different experiences. We all have different backgrounds. We all have gone through different situations in our life that we you know, wish we didn't have to go through. But let me tell you something, what binds us all together, and that's what laminin is, it's a glue, it's an adhesive for our body. Without it, we, our body, the whole body begins to decay, to deteriorate, to fall apart. What the cross has done for us it has held us together. And what unifies us and what allows us, what should inform us loving others is what Jesus has done for us. You're not a Christian. You're the body. You're not a Christian. You're a branch connected to the vine. That's what you are. Let me give you a third B to how to be the church. That we're a building. We're a building. You say, I thought we, the church wasn't a building. No, it's, that's not what Peter is saying. Peter is using a similar analogy, a similar imagery to describe what we are. Here's what he says in 1 Peter 2.5. He says this, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. He said, listen, listen, you know what you are? You're not a Christian, you're a living stone. You're a living stone. The reason why you're a living stone is because Jesus is the living cornerstone. Jesus is alive and what makes you unique and what makes us special as being a part of the church is that we are alive. That what sin did to us is sin didn't make us bad people. Sin made us dead. And what Jesus did for us on that cross is that he brought us back to life again when he rose from the grave. And Peter says this. Peter says, hey, you are a living stone. That you are, look, if you throw that verse back up there for me, Neva, would you please? that you are a living stone and are being built up as a spiritual house, that together we are a spiritual house. Together we are. We're not, it's not about, you know, the Old Testament, they had to, they had to go to a, a tent or a tabernacle and then to the temple, that they had to go to a place. Jews had to go to a place and worship God at a designated building. They had to go to that temple. They had to go to those, that tabernacle. And that's where they met with God. But here's what Peter is saying. No, no, no. Now, in the new covenant, in the day age of the church, that you are a spiritual house. And what that means is this. Here's how significant that is. The presence of God was once in a tabernacle. The presence of God was once in a temple. But now what he's saying is this, that the very presence of God to those who put their faith in Jesus, that the very presence of God is now in you. That you are and I am, that we are collectively, that we are the dwelling place of God. What Paul told the church in Corinth is this, that you are the temple of the holy God. And the ramifications of that is this, that wherever you go and whatever you do, guess who's going with you? God is. Whatever you see, whatever you are a part of, and whatever you're hanging out with, God is going with you. 
that you are the temple. Peter says, you are a spiritual house where the holy presence of God dwells in. And that work that has begun in you, that God will begin to, to work that, his characteristics and his life inside of you, that you'll begin to experience transformation. That's how you become more like Jesus, is that you understand that the work of God is inside of you, that he's gonna change you from the inside out as a spiritual house, but also as a holy priesthood. That you're a holy priesthood as a living stone, meaning you have access to God whenever you want. Anytime we want. Did you know that the, the Old Testament man, they had they one time a year, and it was only a certain person, a certain priest, you know, a high priest could go into the holies of holies, you know, and, 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 and offer prayers for the people to God that he interceded, the priest interceded for the, for the sinful people to a holy God. But now, now Peter's saying this, listen. You are a holy priesthood, meaning you get access to God whenever you want. It says, and the Hebrew writer says it this way, that you can go boldly to the throne of grace. That you can go boldly to the throne of grace. That whenever you want, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, that you have direct access to a holy God. You know what Christians feel about that? Christians feel this way. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, anytime I want? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I know I can pray. Yeah, I hear you. Pray anywhere I want, whatever I'm doing. I know, I do that. You know what holy priesthoods say? Living stones? They say, are you kidding me? I can go before the Almighty and he allows me into his throne room whenever I want. He receives me with love and grace like a perfect heavenly father receives his or her son or daughter. I can walk into the king and go, king, I need you. King, I need your help. King, work for me. King, do something in my life. King, help me through this circumstance. And he hears you. Christians, that's cool. Yeah, I can pray whenever I want. Holy priesthoods. Priests, mind blown. You know what the problem with us is? We've been Christians for too long. We forgot what it was like to realize that a loving, holy, almighty God receives us broken sinners and calls us his holy ones and bestows upon us the title of priests and saints who says to us branches that are separated away from the root, ready to die, ready to wither away and die. He says to us branches, hey, you know where you can connect and have life again? You can connect with me. Hey, body part, you separated from the body will rot 
will decay, but I've got a place for you in the body, and it's called the body of Christ. Yeah, I'm the head, but you are the body, and you get to go out, you broken person that I put together, you dead person that I brought back to life, that you can go out and give the message to the world. He died, he's alive, and we've seen him, and he's life changing for me. His presence dwells in me. I'm different than I was yesterday. I'm different than I was five years ago. I'm different than I was 10 years ago. And I'm still a work in progress, but he doesn't give up on me. And he tells me that whatever I need, I can come to the throne room of God and get help when I need it. He's the one where we need to connect into. And when you do, it will transform your life forever. It will. You're a branch. Connect to the root. Connect to the holy root and you'll be holy. You're the body. You're the body. So what? You're a pinky toe. We need pinky toes around here. It's the cross that holds us. It's the cross that binds us together. You're a building, a living stone with the presence of God in you, changing you from the inside out. We are a spiritual house in the holy hood. That's what we are. We are a spiritual house in the holy hood. And that's only because of grace. That's only because of grace. I'm running out of time, but I just want to give these verses to you. I just think that they're so practical. I don't even need to illustrate them. I just think that they're so, so, so practical that I'll just tell them to you and you'll know what to do. Because I I do want to make it important for us to, to give you something to walk away with. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm supposed to be the church. I'm a branch. I'm a, the body. I'm the building. I'm supposed to be there. What do I do with that? What do I do with that? Well, thank goodness Peter tells us what to do with that, okay? I'm just gonna read it to you, and I think it's self-explanatory. It's the, it's the remainder of 1 Peter 2, 5, okay? You are a living stone, and being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what Peter is saying is this, you now, now knowing who you are, that you're to be the church, now he says, I want you to go and offer up spiritual sacrifices. And what that doesn't mean is this, that doesn't mean that you need to come into a place like this and, and, and light incense It doesn't mean that you have to come into a place like this and bring your unblemished lamb and I slaughter it right here. Isn't that good to know that that's not the sacrifices that you have to do? But the Hebrew writer tells us, now now this is amazing, you gotta read your Bible. It's absolutely incredible. The Hebrew writer tells us what spiritual sacrifices are for us as the church. Here's what he tells us. Through him then, Let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So sacrifice number one for us as being a church, you know what you ought to do? You ought to praise God and be grateful for what God has done. That's sacrifice number one. Every single day, you ought to thank God for who he is and what he's done for you. Not a 
ungrateful. Oh, I wish this was better. Oh, why, I, why am I going through this? No, no, no. It is God, you did a work for me that I couldn't do for myself. And I'm going to praise you with my lips. I'm going to thank you to the name of who you are. That's what God says. Listen, I want you to be the church and the being the church is praising him praising him, praising him every day. God, thank you. God, thank you. God, thank you for this. God, thank you for that. God, thank you for what you did here. God, thank you for your attributes. God, thank you for your works. Do you see it? That's a spiritual sacrifice. Then he goes on and says this, verse 16. And, and do not neglect doing good. This is so easy. Do I really need to give you examples of doing good? No, I don't need to give you an example. But just go do good. Go do good. Go do good for somebody. You're like, what does that mean to do good? You don't need to know what it means to do good. Just go do good. This is a spiritual sacrifice. This is what it looks like to be the church, to be a branch connected to the holy root, to be the body connected together as the body of Christ to be a building, a spiritual, a living stone, to offer up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. What does that mean? That means to praise God and be grateful for what he's done. That means to just do good. Do good. And sharing. And sharing. Come on, parents, do I really need to tell you what it means to share? Don't you teach your kids? Share, you got to share your stuff, share your stuff. Don't, don't, share. You got something that somebody needs? Share it. Do I need, do you need an illustration for this? I don't think so. No, you don't. For such sacrifices, God is pleased. Don't you want to make God happy? Yes. Yeah. So praise him. Do good. Share. And God goes, that's my church. Those are my branches. That's my body. That's my building where I reside. Don't be a Christian. Christians are like, eh heard this, done this. No, be the church, be the church. God, um, thanks for the time, thanks for each one. Thanks for the privilege of sharing your word. God, I just ask, I just pray that you remind us, empower us to live this out. To not just say, I'm going to church. I go to church on Sunday at 11. That Market Street is my church. No, no, no. We're saying, I am. I am the church. I am a part of the church. And I want to be the church to a world that needs to see it. I want to be a branch. I want to be the body. I want to be the building, a place where you live, a place where you transform and build up. And it's your cross that holds us all together. It's the cross and the resurrection that holds us, that binds us together as one. Thank you for each one here. Pray you bless their time, bless the rest of their day and the week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go be the church.